Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. So now here's Jeter Downs. He's been a thorn in the side of the Rays late in games. Tying run at second base. And a ground ball left side. Throw to first. Rays sweep Boston. Walls to Joy. And the Rays win it 5-4. And take all four in this series from Boston. Tommy Romero's going to get his first big league win. Oh, man. That game was so winnable. How do you... Oh, I mean... That Verdugo shot, I thought that game was tied. I thought I thought that game was tied, but uh, Jeter wasn't able to get it done at the end. Not really on him, but oh, once again, we come to a spot where this this Red Sox team has a great lead, and the pitching ends up blowing it at some point. Now this one, obviously, Cutter was going strong throughout, though he had some moments earlier in the game that I said I would say he was kind of. Uh, you know, helped out of some jams, right? He's been pitch, pitching really solid lately, and and obviously he did a great job in this one the majority of the game. Uh, but he worked out of some jams early. He had that two-out hit that probably should have scored a run earlier in the game. I think it was like the second or third inning. And uh, if it wasn't for the interesting field dimensions of Tropicana Field, that would have probably scored a runner earlier in the game. But, you know, the ball was hit hard, fair, down the first baseline, goes and hits that little wall that kind of juts out closer to the fair territory, and it kicked the ball right into an easily playable area, so we got the ball in nice and easy, and it was no big deal. Then later on, uh, he got out of another jam when Xander made that nice play, ranging to his left at short, spinning, throwing to first base. Great play by Xander defensively, stopped the runner from scoring. Uh, there was runners at second and third, I believe, in that situation as well. So Cutter got out of some jams early in the game, but then he settled in, obviously. Had some good strikeouts throughout. I think he had five or six strikeouts in the game, something like that was great. So I was happy with his performance to a certain point. And then you have Devers coming in, who may be the best hitter in the game right now. Golf Golf's his 20th home run of the season. Uh, a ball that he probably shouldn't have been able to get to. He's had moments this season and, and throughout his career, but this season specifically, where he's looked like Vlad Guerrero and how he did back in the day, hitting balls that he had no business touching. Ones that he is getting to, uh, you know, the way that he, that Vlad used to. Senior, that is. Now we got Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the league. I know that. Um, but, yeah, no, it was it was good. Bogarts had another great defensive play later on, kind of jumping as high as he possibly could when he was in that shift over at second base. Got that ball. Nice job by him. Uh, but I, 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 once again, we're going to end up having to come back to the pitching and how that was the major factor at the end of the day. Yeah, it's great to see my guy, Jaron Duran, able to get into uh, – get this – team able to play some more small ball at times though you know we love the long ball here obviously Duran hitting through that shift then he steals second base Devers grounds out to move into third base and then he scores on a wild pitch in that inning great job by him getting that second run for the team manufacturing it basically on his own then you got Xander hit the double bring in getting you to the 3-0 lead and Crawford was still dealing at that time but then you bring him back out for the seventh inning he had gone six strong, he had got out of some jams earlier in the game, and you decide to bring him back in. Now I know, 
you're at the end of a four-game series where you had to use a lot of pitching throughout, and it's been a really tough series, and Cutter's been doing really good. You want to give the kid one more inning to see if he can get through it and really build some momentum off of a great start from one of your younger pitchers. I get that, Cora, but you put him back out there for the seventh. He you know, gives up the immediate ground rule double down the left sideline. Uh, then he's followed by um, you know, a hit to first and scores one. And, you know, then the the inning kept building and building, and he kept giving up hit after hit. You end up with runners in scoring position first and third, I believe, when he went out of the game, but a little too late, couldn't get any outs in that one. So you bring in Schreiber, your guy who's been solid. I mean, one of the better relievers in the league, honestly, throughout the entire season. He comes in, gives up a hit that allows two to score. Schreiber then it hits the next batter. Then they have the sack bunt and a bloop single by Diaz because the runners were pulled. I mean, the defenders were pulled in, gets you to five runs in the inning. You give up a five run seventh inning when you had a three nothing lead and Cutter Crawford dealing. And instead of trying to bring in a reliever to start that seventh inning, you try and let your guy go for one more to see if he can spark some more momentum, like I said, and it kind of it blows the game, right? Now, they made a valiant effort in the ninth, obviously with Xander starting off with that bloop single. Verdugo hits that extremely hard ball down the right field line that only is a foot or two off of going over the wall and tying the game up. Uh, And then you end up, you know, blowing it past that, you know, Dawback with the strikeout and Jeter with the or, or ground ball, weak ground ball up the middle. It was rough. But you keep going back to that decision that was made to put Cutter back out there for the seventh inning. And even after he gives up that first hit, you're going with him again and continuing on through the inning. Maybe, you know, obviously pushing him too far. Now, obviously, hindsight's 20-20, I get that. But that's the tough decision that was had to be made in that area, and, and it obviously seems like it was the wrong one at the time for Cora. So you end up getting sweeped by this Rays team. And now, I mean, this month has turned into a crap fest for this, this Red Sox team. We have nothing good going on really at this point. They're limping into the all-star break, and I can't say that I'm surprised. I mean, you obviously have started playing the much better competition, which is basically the AL East, in this month. And so we are where we are. Now you got the, the all-star break coming up soon, but it's after a three-game series with the Yankees. So they're not even done yet. They're still limping right now. I want to talk more about that and some other topics, and all including the Red Sox and baseball, when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Back K's by the lefty. He's at 72 pitches. I just love the look in his eye right now. When he comes when he comes out and he pitches like this, it's also infectious for the other four starters that are watching. Ground ball to third, picked off by Dahlbeck. Spin, little bobble, throws, and yes, got him to retire the side. And that is all. He gets him in order. Absolutely great job by Chris Sale. I know that this was a little while ago, but I haven't been able to talk about it yet, so I'm talking about it now. Great job by Chris Sale in his debut. I was not sure that he was going to be able to come back and be the same Chris Sale, but it's looking like he is starting off that way, starting strong against a good Tampa Bay team, going five strong innings, only giving up the three hits and the one walk. He had five Ks in the game. Great job by Chris Sale, and you wish he could have gone the entire game because as soon as he gets out of the game, that's when the major problems started to happen for this team. 
that you know Brazier comes in, Strom comes in, and though you felt good about Strom lately, and now we're going to have to deal with Strom not being on the team and may requ- he might end up requiring an IL stint is how it's looking right now. He, they immediately gave up the game. It was also errors, too. You, you know, you can't put everything on the pitching. Obviously, the errors are going to make things more difficult for this team when you got Franchi Gordero making horrible plays left and right from that first base position, and you got even Strom making errors as well. So you can't help, you, you know, you didn't help yourself out at all. Strom obviously getting hurt. In that game, like I said, so insult to injury, or injury to insult, but it was a tough outing from an overall perspective because I was very happy that the team was actually in it in a low-scoring, pitcher's duel type of battle. That doesn't usually happen for this Red Sox squad. One way or the other, there's a lot of runs usually being scored in Red Sox games this season. So I was happy to be able to see Chris Sale working through these batters, had his slider working. You love to see that when he is. And now I just am thinking at this point, let's be careful with him. But, right? So I know it was tough seeing him have to go out in the fifth inning because it's pitch count related and you don't want him to to continue going through that game after pitching five strong and start to wear himself out early, right? And that's how we should be thinking about it going forward, which it kind of stinks, I know, but he should probably be capped at five innings no matter what, depending on the pitch count, obviously, but five innings no matter what. Even if he's at a low pitch count by then, then at that point, 70 pitches in, something like that, I don't want them pushing him going forward because if this Chris Sale can be available in the playoffs – you know, assuming that they can make the playoffs. I know that that's still a big if just based on the fact of how they've been playing this month and then the other teams that they're going to have to be battling against to get a playoff spot. You got teams like the Seattle Mariners going crazy recently on a 10-game win streak. You even have the Baltimore Orioles having 10-game win streaks behind you, nipping at your heels. So it is going to be tough for this Red Sox team to make sure they are in that playoffs. But if you can get to the playoffs and then start to let Chris Sale loose a little bit because you've taken it easy on him throughout the remainder of this regular season, that's going to be your best bet. When he can start to go six-plus innings in the playoffs, that's when you're going to want him. Because if not, we know the history of Chris Sale. He can burn out. He can burn out throughout the year. He can burn out in a shorter period of time. It happens. That's just the way that his body is. But when he's on, he's on. It's pretty obvious. And he's got the ability to do that still at this point. Now, the other thing that happened in that game was obviously the Trevor Story incident where it hit him on the hands. That was a very scary situation. It looked really bad. He was obviously very banged up. They're calling it just a contusion. They're saying that there was no breaks. It was negative on the scans afterwards, so we're happy about that. But tough to see him go down at that moment. And we all wanted, or at least I did. I, I don't know about anybody else, how anybody else felt about Jeter Downs, but the guy's got such a great name. You wanted Jeter Downs to be good, and obviously in that at-bat, too, when he came in in that game, immediately gets the bloop single hit, and you're hoping that he can you know, keep pulling that off, play some good defense at second or, or up to the middle of the infield if he can, and continue to be a little bit of a boost off the bench at points or while Trevor Story is down. Don't have a ton of faith, though. Just love the name. But it's it's a question mark that now you have no Trevor Story in right now. You've now lost four straight games to the Tampa Bay Rays, and you're about to go on a three-game road series before the All-Star break with the Yankees. So you need 
need to show good uh, a good showing against this Yankees squad now away after just playing a series against them that you were just able to split that series two to two after some real tough showings, especially that Friday night game where they gave up 12 runs. That was ridiculous. So they've had a really tough month of July and it's to be expected. I had talked about it before. You're now playing against some of the top tier teams. You had Tampa, then the Yankees, then Tampa again, now the Yankees again. After you come out of the uh, All-Star break, you're going to go to the series with the Blue Jays. So, And you still have to play like the Brewers later on in the, in the month as well, who are a good team from the other side. So this is going to be a very tough month. This Red Sox team needs to survive in advance before they move on throughout. Because right now, you don't see any really easy teams coming up in your schedule whatsoever so you're gonna have to scratch claw fight your way to getting where you need to be and this whole time I still think you're needing you're needing to focus on Chris Sale and making sure his innings are not too high his pitch count is not too high because we are going to need him later on in this season you need to keep getting the good performances from the Cutter Crawfords of the world, and you need to be able to get your bullpen in order that's going to be still the major focus I think of the trade deadline but man when Chris Sale is on, you're looking good. This team still has the bats, no matter what you talk about the first base position and how that's a tough position. I get that, but you still got J.D., Xander, Devers, who's arguably the best hitter in the league right now. You've got a great lineup. Verdugo's doing his thing. Once Trevor Story gets back, you still got good guys all over that lineup to be able to make things happen. You just need to fix the pitching, and that's it. That's, that's what it feels like. You can get into the playoffs if you just fix this bullpen and this pitching staff a little bit more. All right, I got some other things that I want to talk about, so we're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Uh, tell me, you said your grandfather was a big Russell and Auerbach fan? So what was it like? Were you steeped on Celtics history as a, as a child? I was I was steeped on Bill Russell and our back uh, history. Not as much Larry Bird, mm -hmm. um, but of course I knew the le about the legend. But um, my grandfather adored the Celtics, and um, you know I heard a lot about him. Did you know that Danny Ainge always uh, once said that his biggest regret was not drafting you? I, I've heard that I've heard that uh, sort of through through the grapevine, but. Um, you know, I'm here now, so it, it all works out full circle. Full circle. All comes around. He's a Boston Celtic now. We're talking about Malcolm Brogdon. That was the interview he just did for NBC Sports. And he's saying all the right things. Somebody told him the playbook because he's going in there. And now, obviously, he was kind of led to this answer. But his uh, grandfather was big into Bill Russell and Red Auerbach, and so obviously he's saying all the right things to make all the green teamers salivate over the fact that, oh my, he's been a Boston Celtics fan this whole time. He's perfect for us. He just knows about the history of Boston sports and how the Celtics are such a big part of that history and the, the amount of banners in the and all of that. He knows exactly what to say. So I don't know. It's... Uh, Pretty obvious that that's the case. And I have no problem with it, really. You play to the fan base, and, and you go with what you know is going to make you beloved as quickly as possible. And when you're a beloved sports athlete in Boston, you are cherished among some of the top-tier athletes uh, in all leagues, I would say. The, these Boston sports fans, when they love you, they love with such an intensity, especially Boston Celtics fans. We all know that. So we are going to love him on our side. 
is the rest of the team going to love him and integrate him in right away is going to actually be the real question here. Is he going to be able to coexist with Marcus Smart, one of the guys I talk about all the time, one of the really polarizing players from the Celtics that everybody who talks about the Celtics talks about all the time. That's just the case. He is the guy. He's the one that... (laughs) I love this quote every time we go as he goes, Marcus Smart, whether it's good or bad, we tend to go as he goes, right? So I know that that's not the case personally. I believe obviously it's Jason Tatum and Malcolm Brogdon is going to be put into a position that is going to be fighting with minutes for that spot of lead point guard on this team with Marcus Smart. So Will Marcus allow him to come in and and create a role right out the gate? Will he, you know, stamp his feet, throw a tantrum, and say that he has to, Malcolm Brogdon has to come off the bench? I know that they have been saying also in this interview, they said things like he has talked with Marcus. He has talked with the team. He obviously talks with Jalen Brown. So he is going to be in there and have his role, but he understands what he's supposed to do. Uh, he was also asked in this interview about, you know, having to maybe change roles from being a starter to a guy who comes off the bench. And he said he's just going to have to put his ego aside. That's Malcolm Brogdon and be able to do that. So we'll see how that ego stuff goes as the season go- gets underway. Now, I think that this team has enough depth and enough players that they're going to want to rest throughout the season that you'll still get a ton of minutes out of Malcolm Brogdon. They'll st- he'll still have some starts throughout, probably a good amount of starts when Marcus Smart is down for a game or so for this, that, or the other thing, or Jason Tatum has to take a couple games off because he's you know trying to get some rest. Jalen Brown, same thing. Any of these guys who take their 10 to 15 games off per season, which is understandable, it's a long 82-game season, When they take that time off, guys like Malcolm Brogdon can fit in, get their time and their numbers and their on on the uh, minutes per game category and all of their other statistical categories will go up and that should keep them satisfied. And then once it comes to the playoffs, it's it's time to win. It's time to put all of that aside and really focus up. I hope that that's where this team can be, because right now it's easy to say all the right things, right? We're in the offseason. We're taking a little bit of a break. We'll be back soon enough. Right now, it's easy to say all of the right things. But can you do it when you actually have to play together is going to be the major question that we should be asking ourselves. Is this team going to gel well? Because on paper, it seems great. Brogdon's going to be a great defender, be able to work in that system just like we want them to. We want them to be good defensively, but he can score. He can be a 20 to 25 point a game type of guy. He could also give you 30 plus minutes in a game if you need him to and be legit. He's also a good passer, a decent rebounder. This guy can do a little bit of everything. He's proven that over time. Now, he has also proven that he can kind of get a little bit of it, that ego that he said he's going to have to put aside, and he's done it in uh, Indiana with the Pacers. He did it in Milwaukee with the Bucks. He wanted more of a role, and so will that come and rear its ugly head once again in this situation here with this Celtics team, and will he want to you know, be the starter of this team earlier than we think? Or will he be able to do it a whole year of not caring and kind of deferring and allowing Marcus Smart to be Marcus once again and think he's a part of the big three and all that kind of stuff how is that going to go because on paper if you take all the emotions out of it if you take all the egos out of it this team should be great and should be you know probably the odds on favorite to win the Eastern Conference at this point you know if we have everybody hitting on all cylinders once again 
this team is going to be really hard to beat. I'm not going to rule out the Bucks or, you know, some of these other teams. There'll probably be one other team that's going to jump up in there. I'm always afraid of the Miami Heat. You never know what could happen with them. But these teams can also show you something. This Celtics team should be the best. They should be the ones that are considered the best going in. You also added a guy like Gallinari who is going to be good off the bench as well. So you added the bench scoring that you needed last year or in this last season. Now you got it. It's time to show up and really put in one more good effort here and good efforts going forward uh, with this team. Can they gel together? We'll see. I'm not sure. I'm hopeful, though. All right. Let's move on to our next segment. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Don Sweeney began dealing the moment free agency kicked off in the NHL, but used a trade to get things going for the Bruins, acquiring Pavel Zaka from the Devils while sending Eric Halla to New Jersey. The 25-year-old Zaka scored 15 goals while adding 21 assists in 70 games for the Devils last season, while Eric Halla scored 18 goals for the Bees and had one year remaining on his contract. With the roster as it is now, Zaka slots in as a second-line center for the Bruins, but can also play left wing, which is big with Brad Marchand's health in question to start the season. Zaka is a solid top six, two-way player for the Bruins, who also played with David Pasternak for the Czech team in the World Junior Championships in 2014 and 2015. All right, so they made a move. They've made some other moves. They've signed some, you know... AHL type players, two-way type players. Uh, Don Sweeney's been making some moves here and there. They had their drafts where they had, I think, two or three centers in a row that they picked. They're obviously trying to focus on that for the future. But you bring in Pavel Zaka, who was a number six, I believe, overall pick in the draft back in you know a couple of years ago. I don't know how many years ago it was. I'm trying to remember. But for the uh, New Jersey Devils who have had players like Taylor Hall on there, who he, I believe, played with a little bit. So maybe it's a partial part of that that's going to be brought in, the New Jersey Devil connection. I'm not really sure about that. But in reality, you go and you get rid of Eric Halla, who is older and smaller. So we'll see how this goes. I mean, I guess if that's really the reasoning behind bringing in Zaka... Or I guess it's because he was touted as a top-tier talent and just hasn't worked out for the team that he's played for. Maybe he can come to the Bruins, like a Taylor Hall did, and reignite his career in a way. But I think that you were getting the same type of production out of Zaka last year that you did out of Eric Halla. And I thought Hollow worked really good with Taylor Hall and Pasternak on that second line when they were put together. So... I don't know. I, I mean, I get it. This guy can also play left wing. So he's got a little bit more versatility, I guess, than Hala. And he's bigger, right? 6'3", listed at, 210. So he's 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 going to have more size, which is going to be good for a Bruins team that you want to be able to have that size. But to me, I don't know. It feels like this move was so that you... It really signifies the fact that Bergeron and Krejci are both coming back, right? You go out there and you get rid of your second-line center because what? You know that Bergeron, who even though he recently was out on a podcast, I believe, or it was a radio show, a Canadian or a, a, a French-Canadian, maybe, I don't know, podcast or show, recently was asking him about coming back, and he was kind of noncommittal, Bergeron was, about coming back to the Bruins, even though I had heard all these reports that he was in finalizing talks to create that one-year deal for him. So I don't know what that's all about. 
You also had Krejci, you know, all up in the Boston business. You saw him all over social media hanging out with his kids. His family was in Boston. They were hanging out. So you thought that everything was going in that direction. Now you trade your second center on the team in Eric Halla to go and get this guy who, yes, is technically a center, but can also play left wing and is just a bigger guy to have on your roster. So my thought is, this is the thought process of Sweeney. He thinks both Bergeron and Krejci are coming back, right? They'll slot in, Bergeron back on your first line, Krejci on your second line. Now you'll got Pavel Zaka, who's going to be able to come in. You heard that on the Nesson broadcast, too, talking about it. He'll be able to maybe fill in for a Marshan for a little bit in that left-wing position to start off the year, but then he'll be able to slot back into that second or third line, depending on what's needed in that time. He's not really a top six guy at the moment, but he'll be able to help out your third line, whether he's playing center or left wing, and really start to continue your depth down the team. Because if it is that, you know, either Krejci or Bergeron, you hope that both of them are coming, but Bergeron specifically more, just because we know that he's still got it at that NHL level, I guess you don't really know what Krejci has. So if one of the two is going to come in, you want it to be Bergeron, in my opinion. But if you're getting rid of Hala, unless you're thinking that maybe there's a chance that Krejci's not going to come in, so you go and you get Pavel Zaka, who what you hope can give you better production than what he did last year because you're getting the same production you got from Halla, and Halla seemed to gel really well with his line mate. So I don't know why you'd shake it up unless you think that both players are coming back. That's all I keep going back to at this time. It's got to be that both Krejci and Bergeron are planning to come back. They feel pretty good about it. They have a, what, they feel like it's an 80% chance that they both get him back or whatever it is that feels good enough to go and trade Eric Halla, who was solid for this team, I thought, and then you go out, you get a guy who's a little bigger, a guy who can slot in for some of your injured players that are going to be at the beginning of the season and then slot back into a more depth role position in that maybe third line. It sounds great on paper, but is that really how things are going to work out? Because now I'm questioning it. Now I'm wondering what the heck the deal is. He better not be a replacement for that second line center spot only. That 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 can't be the move, right? I also know that he's a restricted restricted free agent. So, I think that they still have to either qualify him an offer or set, or give him a deal before they can keep him on the team. So, I guess I, I shouldn't say it better not just be that he's a, a center a second line center uh, substitute. It also better not be that they're just doing a salary dump here and getting rid of Hala, and then they're not even going to bring in Pavel Zaka. They're just going to let him go as a restricted to sign with somebody else. That would be horrible, right? Then I would absolutely hate the trade. So, I don't know. It feels like Sweeney knows, Sweeney and Neely both know, that you're getting both Bergeron and Krejci back. Pavel Zaka will be able to help out in the interim with the injuries and guys getting back up to speed. Then he'll be able to slot into a more depth position to make this team overall better. I'm hoping that that's the case because otherwise it feels like a horrible move. And, and the draft picks didn't seem like they're going to help you anytime soon. So what are we doing right now? I, I don't know. Still a lot of questions for this Bruins, but we'll try and answer that the next time. That's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back again next week to talk all about the offseason and what's going on with that as we get closer and closer to the end of the summer when we're going to have more Patriots conversations. We'll get back into Bruins and Celtics topics as well. We got the Red Sox for right now. We'll see how they do keep going forward. I'll be back again next week. Like I said, this will be up as a podcast wherever podcasts are found. I just appreciate anyone tuning in to listen on 90.7 WKKL. 
I hope you guys have a great weekend. Keep it here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Cape's Classic Alternative. See you later.